Welcome to the Black Psychologist Podcast, where we have conversations and give insight into human behavior and promote mental health wellness. I'm Dr. Kyle Osborne, and with my co-host, Dr. Jason Coleman, we'll discuss health topics, everyday life issues, and try to give you a better understanding of yourself, other people, and the world around you. So just sit back, relax, and hopefully you'll leave with some information that'll have you live in your best healthy life. Thanks for listening and enjoy the podcast. We're back. We're back. Welcome back to the Black Psychologist Podcast, episode 18. We are moving right along. Appreciate everybody being here. Again, you could be anywhere in the world, but you're here watching and listening to us. I am one half of your humble and gracious host and clinician here for your listening pleasures. Uh, psychologist, Dr. Kyle Osborne. And of course, I'm never, ever here by myself. I'm here with, he's a J to the Izzo, V to the Izzo, for sure. <laughs> His arms is so breezy. Can't leave health alone. The game needs me. Here's <laughs> want to know how he does it. It ain't easy. My guy, yeah, Dr. Jason Coleman. How are you, good brother? Man, I'm good. I can't complain, bro. You know, week is almost over. It's been productive, you know. So the boat keeps moving, man. You know. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we're moving on tomorrow's a holiday. Uh, we're gonna be observing the holiday depending on where you're at. Uh, but Juneteenth is coming up next couple of days tomorrow and Saturday, so we'll be celebrating that. So, happy Juneteenth Day to you, good brother. Happy Juneteenth Day to you, my brother. That's the first time I really said that, man. Yeah, so yeah. It's going to be the first good, right? times, though. Yeah, yeah, feel good. We got to get used to saying it. Feel good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I actually, man, listen, I actually think that, you know, the whole movement, like we all kind of saw last year with people celebrating it. I know some people, a small amount of people probably been celebrating it, for, you know, for a longer period of time, though, but I actually really think that's pride manifesting itself. You know what I mean? Um that was kind of like to me, like, uh, I mean, I'm not saying that major corporations and stuff aren't pushing it now, you know, but in terms of what it means to us, you know, it, it started out as a grassroots kind of thing, you know, from the community. So, like, I'm looking forward to celebrating it, you know, and I'm hoping like moving forward, it's like barbecues and, you know, big type of celebrations with appreciation of the history, you know. Absolutely. Well, they just made it. uh it just passed. It's going to be a federal holiday. So, yeah, right. we're going to be off for it as well. We should and so we can observe it the right way. Right. And, um, yeah. Yeah. We're moving right along. So it's long overdue. But here we are. So we need yeah. to make that progress. All That's right. So we're going to do things a little different. Um, you know, as we've been talking in the previous episodes, we've been wanting our listeners and watchers to uh, reach out through email so we can make the conversation more interactive. And we have a couple people that reached out to us on via email at the black psychologist podcast at gmail.com. So what we're going to do, we're going to pull up uh, one of the videos and I'm going to read the other email. So we appreciate uh, you guys starting to throw in and starting to write to it because we appreciate the conversation. All right. So let me pull this first one up and we're going to get into it. All right, here we go. Hi, so my question is, do you think there is a such thing as a good fit when it comes to seeking out a therapist for mental health services? 
Hi, so my question is, do you think there... Jay, what do you think about that? I see, I had to remix it. I was going to put a different <laughs> the second time, but you know, I don't want to show up. So I'm yeah, gonna... we got to we got to fire the tech guy, man. You know yeah. what I mean? I'm firing the tech guy after hey, man, budget cut. Budget cut. We get what we can get. No, I think. Listen, I think that's an excellent question. Um, to be honest, that's a question I've gotten before, right? Um, absolutely, right. Um, and one thing I kind of talk to, I'm in kind of in this role talking to parents a lot. Um, and one thing I tell parents, you know, about their kids and about their rapport for the therapist is comfort is important, right? If if the patient isn't comfort, uh, if the patient isn't comfortable, if the patient doesn't feel like, you know, the therapist understands them, you know, then, you know, the treatment or the session is really irrelevant because the person isn't going to open up, right? They're going to be guarded um, and you're not going to really have that environment where change can happen. Um, so I think that's very important. And I think patients have to be empowered, right? That, I think sometimes when a, when a patient feels like they have to stick with the first therapist that they're assigned to, I think that's where we fall short sometimes, right? Because it is our job to make our patients comfortable enough. Whereas if I'm seeing a, a girl who's a young girl who's eight, nine years old and she's getting a little older and she would rather talk to a, you know, like a, old, a, a woman about certain issues and would be more comfortable, I got to make my client comfortable enough and offer them the opportunity where they can say, listen, Dr. J, you know, I love you, you know, but this is what will be, will help me most now. Right. And when we get those type of kind of questions um, from our, from our clients, it's not our job to convince them to stay. Right. It's our job to make sure that we find somebody that's the best fit. Right. Um, so I think that's a good question. Um, and I think it kind of fits right along with, how we need to empower, you know, the patients in terms of what they have the right to ask for, right? Absolutely. I agree 100% with everything you've said. Uh, what I'll add to it is that, you know, first and foremost is therapy is a, you know, it's a vulnerable situation or relationship that someone's going to be in, right? You want to, you're going to be divulging information and talking about things that, you know, you struggle with. Right. It could be trauma. It can be things that are contributing to your stress, your anxiety, all these other different things. And just like you mentioned, you want to be comfortable. Like That is like step number one of when someone comes into your office and they want to see, OK, how am I vibing with this person to kind of, you know, to put it in a more general term? Am I going to be able to be comfortable? To, you know, the conversation is going to be, hey, how am I? You know, how do we fit? Like she just mentioned. And if you don't fit or you're not getting a comfortable vibe with this individual, then absolutely, there's no way that this person's going to want to divulge any type of personal information to you. And therapy is a collaborative relationship, right? You're, we're, you're on this journey together. And if there's any type of barrier, it's going to start with, okay, I don't feel comfortable with this person due to a variety of different reasons. So right. nothing is going to go forward with this relationship if you don't feel comfortable with this person. And so um, I've told people in the past that, you know, when you are going through um, and trying and say this therapist or this counselor or whoever, yeah, feel free to ask those questions. And you also shouldn't feel like you need to ask it in the right way. Just be open, be honest, right? This is a non-judgment zone, it's a judgment-free zone. So you want to be able to ask these questions and kind of say, okay, is this person going to be fit for me? Because that's where it all starts. So absolutely, um, you definitely want to have that fit. 
uh, and be comfortable with the person that's going to be sitting in front of you in order for any type of growth or any type of progress to happen. So totally, it's very important. And I'm happy that she asked that question. Yeah, definitely. And just to kind of cap that off, um, I think we as service providers, right, we got to remember that that therapy is voluntary um, and that there's automatically, you know, a power differential, you know, as soon as our patient walks in the room, right? So it's our job to kind of empower them to ask for things like this, right? Even if it puts us out of a job, essentially, in terms of that particular patient, right? Because the goal is supposed to be positive outcome. So, I mean, I know I've referred patients for a variety of reasons, you know, to different um, therapists. Um, you got to get over yourself because it's not, a, you know, it's not about ego. <laughs> um, you know, it's not about you getting the disclosure, the information or, you know, whatever. It's about the person getting better. So, um, yeah, I think it was a great question. Absolutely. So we appreciate that uh, that question and sending it out. All right. On to our second question. All right. So uh, this is from Ingrid. I'm just going to leave it at that. All right. So Ingrid would like to know the reason for my email is because I would like to um, if you can touch on the topic of how we can cope with grief. It's very unfortunate, but young or old, we will all have to deal with this enemy called death and deal with the notion it leaves behind as far as sadness. And this sadness in due time can lead to depression. Unfortunately, we can no longer pick up the phone and call our friends and our loved one. If you can please touch on this topic, I would really appreciate it. Thank you in advance. And um, I just want to throw this little caveat out there. Also, she loved how you are introduced into the podcast. Right? So <laughs> I may have mentioned something about you being a diva and you kind of demanding it go that way, but you know, <laughs> you know so, but um, so yeah. So what is um, your thoughts about how we can cope with grief and especially, you know, given the uh, times and climate that we're currently in? Well, I, I, I'm going to take this in, in two different ways, right? Um, one thing I, I think we got to say is like, you know, people obviously cope in different ways, right? So the first thing we got to say is we want to kind of stay away from, you know, the, the methods of coping that we would call maladaptive, right? So we're talking about like except excessive like substance use or um you know just behaviors that could damage you you know in the long term mm -hmm. but i people cope in different ways in this time what i like to emphasize with a lot of individuals is is the social su support aspect right um and we got to use technology although we are separated you know technology kind of allows us you know to kind of be connected sometimes in ways, you know, that we can't, couldn't usually do, right? So we have to get creative, right? Um, when you lose somebody, it's never gonna be easy, right? And these days, I think we have to recognize how hard it is because, you know, you have people who at some points during this pandemic weren't able to go to the funerals of their loved ones, right? So that whole, the one thing we have to recognize is that it's not gonna be a normal grieving process right now. Right. Everything has been on hold. Right. So uh, unfortunately, like some of the normal channels that we have in terms of getting together with our family members, crying together, having those memories together, we, we just don't have them. Right. Um, so things that are as simple as, you know, these commercials you see, you know, where you have 25 family members on a on a on a Zoom call, you know, those are kind of some of the things that we have now to 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 make us you know kind of feel more supported and i think we have to understand also that 
therapy services in terms of uh, therapeutic support, if we get overwhelmed, are probably more accessible now, right? Um, because almost everybody is doing teletherapy. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is the time that we have to kind of reach out um, for support, um, kind of past our loved ones if it gets, you know, to that point and we get that overwhelmed and reach out for that, you know, professional support. Other than that, um, just good coping skills, right? And, I, and I'm always emphasize to try something new, right? Whether it's mindfulness technique, you know, whether it's diaphragmatic breathing, grounding, different things to focus you, you know, in the present moment or kind of get you through the day at work or get you through some of those difficult moments, exercising, physical activity, you know, a bunch of things. But we, we got to use kind of what we have. What do you think? Absolutely. Um, you know, grief is significantly different since 2020, 2021 due to COVID. You know, it's it's compounded by all of these other different factors um, that have been occurring around it. So you have COVID, right? So you may have some people that are unfortunately passing away due to complications from COVID. And then you have individuals that are have passed away for, for from other reasons. And so COVID right. is that most salient thing where, okay, yeah, you're not able to, like you mentioned, practice those normal morning rituals. Right? You're not able to attend a service. You're not able to maybe physically be with other people and do all those personal interactions. And so now it's not just regular grief, it's complicated grief. That's what right. it's manifested into. And so now when you have complicated grief, it your symptoms are exacerbated. Right. The sadness, the guilt, all these other different things that go that people experience. And then we also have to keep in mind, like you mentioned and alluded to earlier, is that grief is individualized. So everybody grieves differently depending on how the person passed away, your relationship with the person and so many other different considering factors. So um, I totally agree with you in that being flexible and being creative are one of those things, especially during this time. Um, even as restrictions are starting to, um, you know, come about, it's still our form is normalcy is going to be different than when it was prior to COVID. And so I think it's also kind of practicing that acceptance approach. Right. So it's being able to see and attempting to. How, and focus on how can you honor some of these rituals and these things that are important, albeit in a different manner than it was prior to COVID. So like you said, if it's a virtual situation, being flexible or being creative with the technology as far as reaching out to communication, journaling has been something. So you know how people are able to write sincere things or maybe before you were able to speak at someone's service, you were able to speak at the funeral or you may not be able to do that because of the limitations or restrictions as far as in-person. So maybe journaling, right? Or even going on social media and writing a post, right? expressing, you know, how you feel. I think that's something we definitely have to continue to highlight and, and, and encourage people that you continue to express how you're feeling for that individual that's passed on. If that's the way that you would like to honor that person, that's something you want to continue to do it. Again, it's just in a different manner. So we do have to be creative, like you mentioned, and we have to incorporate some flexibility and how we're, we're coping. Um, you know, whether it's also, you know, creating um, or going through virtual supports, right? There are support groups. So in addition to 
individual support, individual counseling, I always highly recommend that people find a support group. So you're around other people that are also understanding and have the empathy and that you're going through that grieving process. It's different for everybody, but there's also that common theme and you want to be able to gain a sense of community. So like you said, being creative and being flexible with the, cre- uh, with the communicating aspect, because that communi- that community aspect is so crucial when you're right. grieving. And then also journaling, like you mentioned, the meditation, you know, creating a post maybe on Facebook or on IG, if you're comfortable doing something like that, of course, it's different for each person. Um, and, and being aware of some of those things that creep up to us, right? The guilt the self-blame that a lot of people tend to experience, especially during this time, um, because th- that what if question always pops in also, right? You have that guilt that comes along. So just kind of being aware and having compassion for yourself, because I think a lot of people, when they go through those things, they're not being passionate. I mean, they're not showing that same compassion for themselves and being patient as you go through the grieving process, because you don't know how long the grieving process is going to be for each person. It's really individualized. So, um, but I, you know, I echo everything you said and absolutely being um, flexible and creative in the, in a manner of um, and trying to honor the person since those, since those rituals were interrupted. I mean, just in terms of general advice, you know, I just to piggyback on what you said, I think you had a lot of great points. Um, you want to focus like on general on emotional expression. So whether that's verbally, whether that's reaching out to somebody, you know, you trust reaching out to like your pastor, clergy a trusted, trusted coworker, um, whether that's writing, journaling, you know, tweeting, if, you, if, if it's appropriate, um, using technology, right, making a video or, or whatever, you know, that, that could be prayer, emotional expression, right? right? Emotional support is the second thing that you want to do, create that around you, right? Either that's virtually, again, through your church community or through your uh, regular community of people, friends that are around you, you want to create that support, right? We have, through technology, we have ways that we can kind of connect with people, you know, that we couldn't do before. But was to me, I think what a lot of people find useful um, is, is memorializing a person. And I think, you know, there are a lot of creative ways, you know, for you to memorialize somebody, you know, um, it's, Especially, especially now, non-traditionally, you know, whether that's making a video, whether that's writing a poem, you know, whether that's getting together, like I said, with those 30 people on a video call and reminiscing about those stories and all of those things. Um, but you just got to get creative. Um, and it's unfortunate. Um, but again, you know, there are ways that we can kind of try to insulate ourselves from some of those effects. Absolutely. Uh, so, yeah, thank you for sending that question out. Um Ingrid, uh, we appreciate it. So to also to everyone else, please continue to send in questions. We, you know, Dr. J and I love answering these questions and the same question that you may want, other people may also have also. So, um, so absolutely continue to send those through to the Black Psychologist podcast at gmail.com. All right. So staying with COVID because it's the most salient thing that we have that's, you know, going on in our environment and in our society. Um, so the COVID vaccine, Dr. J has been here for a few months, right? It was the moment that a lot of people were waiting for, um, you know, somehow this would, this vaccine, a lot of people were hoping would be able to, you know, get our lives back to normal, or at least this year's version of normal. However, as we are aware of, um, 
there have been a lot of reasons why some people haven't gotten the vaccine. And we've talked about it in the past. There's the, you know, could be due to the historical mistrust of government or medicine. You know, we've talked extensively about that. It could be people are concerned about the potential side effects. Um, there's also a lot of misinformation about the vaccine that's also making people um, hesitant to participating in it. One thing that we haven't mentioned is that it could be um, a fear of needles. Tripanophobia, the fear of needles, is a contributing factor. And in fact, over half adults of unvaccinated COVID-19 fear needles. So what are your thoughts about that? Uh, listen, I thought this was a, a interesting article because I, I have honestly never thought about this before about being like a contributing factor. Mm -hmm. um, they said 25% of, I think it's adults in the United States are adverse to needles, 10% of adults and 25% of children. I mean, again, I I think this is something that's, pro that's not talked about enough, right. you know? Um, because immediately when I started reading this like it made sense because it brought me back to like the pediatrician's office you know what i mean mm -hmm. and it's like um if i endure this pain for two seconds i'm gonna get a lollipop like that type of stuff you know um so i i don't know what i thought was interesting like when they started talking about like the methods um you know i some of you know the, the one i kind of thought was most interesting was and most effective was the distraction you know yeah um it, especially nowadays with Instagram, with games, people on their phone. I'm, I'm thinking that that's probably would be the most effective way to get somebody to kind of take the vaccine and reduce the anxiety because I see a lot of like, I know when I got my vaccine, like I saw a lot of people that were like highly anxious and then they kind of like look this way or look that way. And they, and they were like, Oh, it's over. You know what I mean? They didn't even know they got stuck with the needle. So I think like a lot of this, again, a lot of the fear is just tied more to the anxiety than the pain. You know, that's just my 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 guess. Um, so I think distraction is kind of, you know, that would be the that would be the best method I would go. Um, but what did you think of kind of the methods they was offering? Um, and what were you surprised by them? And what, which ones did you think were most or like least effective? Um, like I thought the whole, you know, and it's funny how you think um what's a contributing factor and it it makes perfect sense but you don't think because it's so simple right you don't think that a fear of needles is something that would be a contributing factor but it, it is and you know based in the fear of needles is thinking or usually with any type of fear or anxiety it's thinking like okay whatever is going to be taking place is going to be too overwhelming for me to experience. So right. even that that needle, you're thinking that it's that pain, even though it may be short, it's going to be so insufferable. And that's what drives your anxiety up, right? You're thinking all these other different, um, all these fear-based thoughts that are coming into that's driving your anxiety. And um, yeah, this was a really interesting article. I, I, I was able to um, do a little bit more research. And then they said a study in 2019 found that 16% of adults avoided getting the flu shot due to their oh, wow. fear of needles, right? And that included people that work in hospitals, that work in long-term care facilities and other healthcare facilities. So these are, you know, different officials, nurses, all these other clinicians that are actually, 
you know, that work in that field, but they're like, nah, I'm not getting it because again, of their fear of needles. And so, yeah, you had to think, and you know how it, it's interesting too, that they've been coming up with all these other different methods, right. Of um, trying to get people to get the vaccine, right. They've been having all these other different incentives, like beer, you're getting like baseball and basketball, like sporting event tickets, lottery tickets, all these other different things. And these incentives just to, you know, have people participate and incentivize it. Oh. However, you still have people with the fear. Needed. They're like, nah, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and not even, and not even to go off on a tangent, but like I saw so many crazy giveaways. I saw them giving away shotguns. They were giving away joints. Like yeah. in Colorado, they're giving away weed. Yeah. It's crazy. Like I to to go get a, a shot, you know, lottery tickets, everything. Yeah. I was I was upset because listen, I'm like, man, I should have waited. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Give me a lottery ticket or something, yeah. right? I could have gotten some some uh some you know what I mean, some Phillies tickets or some six or some you know, yeah. I'm Both like giving out they're giving out beer. It's just crazy, you know. I'm like, man, I should have waited. See, shame on me for, for being, you know complying and trying to be on safe <laughs> early and stuff. They actually should have should have went the other route. But um, you know, this is a real thing, right? Um right. this is a real thing. It's anxiety and the symptoms that are associated with any type of fear are some of the things that can be mild to severe. Like and like you mentioned, when you were, you know, getting your vaccine, you saw you saw some of those reactions, right? You saw people, you know, looking around hyper vigilant, you know, they're probably you know, even if they're not showing those physical um, symptoms or expressions, like, you know, a lot of people who would, if it's severe, people faint when they have fear needle. People right. have the heavy breathing, you know, the, the blood pressure is high, it's, it's escalating, you know, the heart rate. And then, of course, what we're, we're, we're experiencing or witnessing is avoidance. So um, what I did like, um, as far as the, the solutions, you know, is, you know, distraction. I, I feel like distraction is absolutely one of the best um, I think bringing a friend or a relative would be really helpful. So as you're, you, you're there with somebody, I think it's kind of the, the combination, like you said, you're distracted with talking to someone. And then also, you know, you have that support, right? We've always talked about that, having that sense of community, um, you know, being on your phone, you know, while you're doing it, you know, be right. IG, Facebook, like read a post, you know, start, start tweeting something. Um, I also thought about music. I mean, one thing that you also see so many people walk around with, we got our, our pods or our buds in our ear. So, mm-hmm. you know, if you're sitting there, you're listening to your music while it's getting ready to take place. I feel like that's a good distraction and that would be, you know, really helpful. So, um, but yeah, this is this is a, a real thing. Um, you know, I think long term. Yeah, absolutely. They mentioned therapy, which I feel like. Yeah, it would be helpful, I think, um, especially if it is impacting any area as far as your health. If it is a situation where it's impacting and having an effect where you're not just a vaccine, but you're not going to the doctor, period, or you're avoiding certain things. Like, absolutely, you want to uh, have this addressed because this anxiety can manifest and it can continue to get worse if you if you don't, um, you know, I- address like when I, you know, they were, you know, talking about the methods. Of course, I, you know, I already said I thought distraction would be one of the most effective. Pain reduction, I kind of had at number two. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, they were kind of talking about, I think, like putting a cold pack up there. And some patients were talking about that kind of helped <clears throat> in terms of lessening the pain. I honestly had psychotherapy at 
the 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 least effective, right? I do think it's necessary if it's in, if it's a, affecting like medical, you know, like adherence, you know, right. like we're talking about going to doctor's appointments, um, and you're not doing certain things that that's gonna be detrimental to your health. But I just, it, it's like, listen, man, when we it, most likely it will be some sort of like exposure type of thing. Right. You know, um, combined with a, with psychoeducation, of course. And I'm not trying to make light of it, but to me, like, and, and this is just my humble opinion, you know, but exposure therapy will work very well with a lot of things. You know what I mean? Mm. But when, you t- when you're talking about certain things, <laughs> you know, it's like, that's a very, it's a very controlled environment, you know, in, in a therapy session, you you know what I mean? And for the, it might work for some people, but for the person who, who thinks about like a needle as like, I'm getting stabbed like that, it may not be as effective. That's why I was, that's why I put psychotherapy third, you know, Mm -hmm. but again, I kind of think like, if it's to the point where it's affecting, like you going to doctor's appointments and all of those things, it's probably going to be affecting you in other places. You know what I mean? It's not going to be just a little, little, a, a little issue. Um, so, you know, um, I, I kind of have mixed feelings about it, but. I know, did have the, um, the, the, if I'm, if I'm ranking them, I'm putting the plan really as number one. Cause I feel like the, the plan is going to overlap into like the distraction. So say right. for me, um, knowing that I've, I've gotten the flu shot because I've worked at, you know, the hospitals and they, it was mandatory. So I just kind of went along with it and I didn't have like any type of like religious or culture type of reservations associated. So I'm just like, all right, whatever. It's mandatory. I'm going to get it. But right. what I did do as far as with the flu shot or even the, um, the COVID vaccine is that I, you know, I'm aware that it's going to come like your arm is going to be sore. So it was more of like having a plan that I had one. All right, let me take some meds before I get it. Right. Let me take yeah. some, you know, some Tylenol, some Aleve or something prior to getting it. Uh, so that would reduce the pain. Um, I also maybe did it since I was getting at work. I probably did it towards the end of the day because I know at times some people or I've gotten it earlier in the day. Then by the end of the day, your arm is a little sore. And I didn't want to go through work for the rest of the day. So my plan was, all right, get some meds. Also, um, get it towards the end of the day. So by the time I get home, if there is any type of pain symptoms and I'm already, I can lay down, I can chill. So I like that idea of if you are going to get a vaccine, um, whether you have a fear of needles or not, but absolutely, if it is, um, this is the case, it's definitely having a plan because like you can already kind of prepare for what's going to take place, the pain reduction aspect of what distraction technique you're going to use, whether it's going to be music, whether you're going to do on your phone, whether you're going to take somebody. Like, I like the idea of having a plan and going into it. So this way you're more prepared. And then, so I, I rank that at number one and it'll, it'll, it'll overlap into the other ones. No, I, I mean, listen, I agree. That doesn't, you know, that sounds good to me. I mean, I just, again, I think um, it's definitely an interesting article, <clears throat> but I, I'm thinking that, you know, that's, that's a subject that's not kind of talked about enough, you know? Yeah, yeah you're right. So, um, yeah, that was, that was pretty cool. You know, uh, thinking of other different things that you typically don't think about. Right. So I don't know about for you. However, when I think of occupations um, that are associated with burnout, I immediately usually associate burnout, you know, occupations with um, 
anything medical, right? So especially this day and age, especially over the past year, you think about nursing, right? You think about nursing burnout just because of what nurses and other f- people that have been working in ERs and what they've had to experience and what they've been seeing day in and day out for the past year or so. Um, I also think about our field, of course. I think about um, therapist burnout. I think about clinician burnout because of what we hear every day, you know, all the demands and emotional toll it can take on you. I think of, you know, our, our, um, our field. However, I uh, came across an article where, surprisingly enough, you're talking about attorneys. All right. So again, for me, and this is my, just me, my, you know, ignorance. Um, but I never really thought about burnout or kind of looking at, you know, the struggles uh, of a, of attorneys. So a recent study came out and data reveals the startling mental health struggles of anxiety uh, or mental health struggles for attorneys of color. Let me just uh, pull out these figures right here. So it says, notably, 31% of black lawyers said that they have contemplated suicide during their legal career. This is a significant increase from the approximately 23% from Hispanic or Latino attorneys, 20% of Asian attorneys, and almost 19.4% of white attorneys who have reported the same tendencies. So this talked about, you know, the data revealed just how differently the workplace stressors and the pandemic have impacted mental health attorneys. So reading through um, this article, what was your takeaway from this, Jack? Um, I thought it was interesting. Right? Like Again, I wasn't really expecting it. Um, I thought it was interesting, number one, that all the people of color kind of in the survey reported increased stress compared to, you know, everyone else. Um, I was surprised, right? Because the assumption immediately that I would make is that like working remotely, you know, they would have less stress, right? Um, but that's, again, my ignorance because I'm not, I'm not an attorney, right? Um, and they were just kind of talking about time, right? Like not being able to separate kind of the office from home, everything kind of running as one long day, you know, um, <clears throat> people expecting since you work from home for you to be getting things out all times of the night. So I can understand that. Um, I what was honestly what was most interesting to me about this article was like as I was thinking about it, I was like, well, I wonder where like their stress is coming from, like primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, and in addition to some of those things I said, like those were kind of like general things that they were all saying. Right. But they were like the minority, the minority related stress was the important thing, right? Like they were saying, feeling like taking time off for mental health could hurt their career, right? And that kind of hit home for me um, because that's that internal pressure of being, you know, um, for lack of it, well, being in that in a position where, you know, we're one of one or we are the minority and, you know, you're either a, an attorney or you're in a position where it's just not a lot of people that look like you. Right. And I know I've kind of experienced that as an intern, as a grad student, where it's like you feel like you can't say no because it's going to reflect badly on you, you know. Um, Remember so that's that's kind of when it struck hit home, mm-hmm. you know, when it was when it was talking about taking time off for my mental health could negatively affect my career, you know. Um, it, again, that's that that's what hit home because I remember when you know being in that position, 
um, where you feel like you can't say no. So what did you think? Um, again, like you said, like not as in tune to um, attorneys or in that, in that legal realm. And this is not to say that they don't do work because we all know, you know, attorneys, lawyers is I can I can only imagine what how long their day is. Um, but I think sometimes, you know, for me, you only think about, OK, you know, of course, the courtroom and then also other different legal proceedings, a lot of paperwork and things. Um, the part that stood out for me, uh, and I'm also going to throw some some more numbers out there um, in a minute, was that um, one of the uh, black woman attorney who was uh, the president of the Black Women's Lawyers Association of Greater Chicago. She mentioned that one of the stressors that that they're not being promoted. And they're not being given meaningful work. Right. And as she said, it just boils down to just not feeling like you're truly wanted there and just like you're feeling feeling like a quota. So, you know, you're feeling like, all right, well, I'm just here. Right. So in addition to feeling isolated from everyone else, because you're still working within COVID because there's still people, are, there's still litigation taking place. There's still legal proceedings, all these different things. So, you know, you're feeling another system of isolation from your own firm, right? You're being looked at. They're not giving you meaningful work. So, I mean, what does that do to your self-esteem? What does that do to, you know, your self-confidence? And I mean, you know, it's, it's, to me, it's logical that Feelings of like isolation or not feeling valued, undervalued can directly lead to you having thoughts that, oh, if I take off, you know, yeah. <laughs> then it's going to negatively, it's, it's going to negatively affect, again, my ability to even either their perception of me or my ability to move up or all of these things. Right. Um, I don't know, man. It's, it, 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 it's crazy. I think, you know, a lot of times like we see people who are in, you know, certain positions. Um, and you you just don't you don't know what a lot of people are going through, man. You know, mm-hmm. but but I think a lot of, especially um, I don't want to just say professionals because there's a lot of um, positions, jobs that people of color can be minorities in that aren't necessarily, you know, being a doctor or a lawyer. You know what I mean? Um, there's a lot of, I mean, if you look at like classically trained singers who are African American, you know what I mean? If you look at classic dance. Outside of Alvin Ailey in the 90s, you know what I mean? There wasn't a lot of black folks doing those those things that in the arts, different places. So all I'm saying is they're, they're one of ones or minorities in terms of in these positions and all over. Well, there's art, science is all over. And I think we're all kind of going through those things in different ways, you know, um, because, again, when you when you're already isolated and you already feel like there's a magnifying glass on you. You know, it's hard to pull back and say, well, listen, I can't take any more on right now. Like, it's hard to say that. Like, you know, I'm just used to over the years, just closing my door and silently screaming. Right. Um, or just wait until the day is over and venting to my family members on the way home, you know. Um, but in terms of saying no, you never say no. Yeah. You know? yeah. And it is something because. The respondents in this article said that in addition to the isolation and the lockdown, they said the work related stressors were more were higher than their fear that, of catching the virus. Right. So they said, right. yeah, we got the virus that's taking place. We yeah, there is concern about that. But my stress is more work related. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Right. And then, you know, 
they mentioned also that 51 percent um, of black attorneys um, and 49% of Asian attorneys and 49% Hispanic attorneys, they said that their firms don't offer support for personal well-being. So not only are we going to put that magnifying glass on you, we're not even going to offer you that that mental health or that emotional support that this job you know is accustomed to or is associated with. So what do you do? And I can only imagine also another layer is it like there are certain occupations and certain jobs that when you do reach out and you do talk to people, maybe family members or friends that, okay, there are some jobs that are kind of somewhat universal when you're talking about the stress, where we're talking about like sales or maybe other different things, you know, being a lawyer or attorney is, I don't think doesn't fit in that, that category because it's a very specialized, you know, uh, occupation. So you're not going to have a lot of people that are going to understand the demands that come with outside of maybe other attorneys or other um, people in that field. So Absolutely. that could be an additional layer of isolation that you feel like people don't understand. And I can only imagine, again, because there's so much litigation, there's so many things that people, that lawyers and attorneys work in these different realms, that it's ongoing, right? So it's continuing like this avalanche of work and other different stress and clients that like you said are mentioned just because you're working from home, they're probably maybe even more demanding. Um, that that they're experiencing and then you don't get that support from your institution like unfortunately how it's become bigger and it's become less stigmatized and a lot of other different industries and they're willing to offer support they just said in half of this you know half of these folks here saying that no there's no support coming from our employers i mean the thing is um I, i i think things are starting to change a little bit you know just because you know they're starting to shine a light on more or more, you know, more of the detrimental effects of, of ignoring mental health. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I've seen a lot of articles lately about the changes in the culture on wall street, you know, and this is kind of to me an extension of that because we're kind of talking about professions where in the past it's similar to the warrior kind of mentality with the athletes. It's like you work until you die. This is, these, these are the professions, right? You work long, you know, you don't sleep if you want to get ahead or you want to be partner or you want to be this person, that person. Um, And I think changing this tone, like it kind of starts in terms of an organizational level at the top, right? In terms of value and mental health. So that's going to start with, you know, talking about it, you know, making the environment safe to talk about mental health and then putting your money where your mouth is, right? Bringing in programs or giving your staff access to programs, you know, for stress, anxiety, relief, those things, yoga, gym memberships. And, you know, you're starting, you start to see some corporations in the last couple of years starting to try to do those things. Um, I think if one good thing could come out of this pandemic, it's going to be that a lot of other, a lot of other organizations that kind of haven't thought about mental health are going to have to you know, think about ways that they can, you know, give their employees exposure to, you know, some positive mental health habits, you know, uh, through coping or through psychoeducation, whatever it is. Right. Because what you don't want, like you mentioned, it's work to the death because there were a few industries like Wall Street where they started to become more active in protecting the mental health well-being of their of their employees when more suicides started to take place. And that's what you don't want. You don't want it to be a situation where you're, you know, becoming reactive because so many people have gotten to that point. And we already talked about, said almost half 
you know, the, the respondents, especially those people of color, were saying, hey, I've thought about it. I've right. thought about it, right? So you don't want that number to be high because somewhere in that, unfortunately, will be someone that attempts. And that's what we don't want. So I'm hoping that, you know, with COVID that shines a light and that highlights, you know, the need for it. So, um, you know, something to continue to monitor. So uh, I, I hope it goes and in, in trends in the right direction. And just, you know, just to kind of cap it off, just as a bigger issue, man, it's just reiterates again, just how race, you know, has permeated almost every angle of our society, right? Because regular stressors are compounded by our race. Mm-hmm. This is what, you know, people need to understand, right? Whether we're talking about white people or just, you know, the general public or or even black people who aren't educated as to why certain individuals, you know, continue to fight in terms of like injustice, right? Because the pandemic is stressful enough, right? Being a lawyer is stressful enough. But if you're a black lawyer, right, we have, we have evidence that, you know, that stress is compounded, right? So little things right this is this is little things driving is stressful enough right yeah. <laughs> people you got people that don't know where they're going you you know you might be lost driving while black is even more stressful while black go another level you you know what i'm saying so i think like people have to understand like this it, when people of color push these issues whether it's dr seuss you know whether it's you know this company or that company and they think that we're just pushing little issues is because this is not a uniform, right? Mm-hmm. We wear this all, all day, every day, right? Um, and everything that we do, imagine if where you go eat, your race impacts that. You go buy a car, it impacts that. You go to drive that car, it impacts that. You, If you're in Beverly Hills, even if you got a lot of money, you try to get in a Fendi store, it impacts that. Didn't, they, did, didn't the lady not want to show Oprah a Birkin bag? Yeah, yeah. So that's why, I, again, like, and I don't mean to go off on this tangent, but I'm thinking like, man, like attorneys, they under enough stress as it is. You know, and you got a 10% increase in people experiencing suicidal ideation. You know, and I'm just the fact, like, race is all, you know, in America, it is almost always going to be a factor. It runs deep. It runs absolutely deep. Um, Staying with people of color. So I came across an article um, and a young lady shared her experience while she was in college. So I'm going to lead it off. So while in college, a group of women approached me and asked me what I scored on my SATs. Now, in that moment, I knew that what they were questioning, whether I belong in college or I had gotten here in some kind of diversity program. and she said it instantly triggered her imposter syndrome, right? And it also showed how systemic racism can reinforce it. And though anyone can experience it, imposter syndrome affects us black and brown people in specific ways. And for those people that aren't aware of what imposter syndrome is, um, it's a phenomenon in which, like she said, any person um, can experience it, but especially if you know, you're know you a highly skilled or highly credentialed person and you start, you have that fear of being exposed or being looked at as a fraud. And so despite um, how many 
you know, credentials or accolades and accomplishments you have, you know, it's, it affects the best of us. And you're worried that your performance on a task or your performance um, in the working field or environment um, will be exposed and your deficiency will be out for general consumption. So, um, so what this, you know, now what she talked about uh, was how, again, that imposter syndrome affects us differently. And I think we touched a little bit on it, you know, in the, in the, in the previous uh, article we just talked about, but um, what were your thoughts about this, that, Jeff? I mean, again, you know, this is, this impacts us, you know, specifically because it gets to the core of like our identity. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I just think with, it's, 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 it's obviously an, a very important topic in terms of us culturally, um, because again, you know, and it's personal for me because whenever we talk about this is usually always connected in some way to education or intelligence, you understand? So, and I can't ever help but be insulted, you know? Um, so we've touched on this before, um, but again, not surprised that it's gonna that 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 it occurs in higher education settings, you know, in a lot of the places it does occur. But again, we got to get rid of you know the stereotype that you know um, that we have an inverse relationship between you know intelligence and blackness. Like we got to get rid of that. We got to get away from that, you know. And the, and and the problem is. You know, I, and I'm not going to dump on any particular genre of entertainment or anything like that or, or sports, anything like that. But the problem is we reinforce it in so many other ways. You know what I mean? Um, but again, I, especially when you talk about this girl, you know, the environment that this occurred, you know, it, it's, it's incredibly salient to us as people of color, because whenever you talk about imposter syndrome, you know, inevitably is always attached to you know, our intelligence, right? And we're never gonna get out of our own way. Again, I'm gonna always say this, if we tell our kids to go to school and do the best they can, right? And then we reinforce being stupid as cool and being stupid as 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 being salient to our identity, right? Um, and being cerebral as being salient to white identity, right? As long as we do, as long as we continue to do that, um, you know, then we're going to be caught in this cycle, right? We're going to wonder why we can't get out of our own way. We're going to tell our kids to work hard. And then we're going to wonder why we look at them and some of them and some of their behaviors are the opposite, right? Because everything that we're reinforcing and a lot of the things around them, you know, reinforce opposite values, unfortunately. Yeah. Anytime that where you, you pigeonhole your own self or someone that looks like you, it's counterintuitive. Right. Because we're already if you're saying that, well, only, you know, you're only going to be able to do certain things. And if you do, it's because of a different external factor or, you know, like you said, it's not cool. You need to be operating on this type of level because now you're fighting two battles. Right. For someone, you know, that's trying to move up, that's trying to do has certain goals. Um, Like now you're it's an uphill battle, not only against people that look like you, but then against you're also fighting against systemic oppression and racism. And it's like you, you're constantly in that mode of you have to prove yourself, just like what she's talking about. Right now, you're going to have outside people. You're going to have maybe, you know, people in the majority, white people, whatever, however you want to describe it. And they're going to look at you like, OK, like they asked this young lady, 
you are you only here for you know because of affirmative action right are you mm-hmm. only here due to these other external factors and now you know you start to believe that so you're already fighting the systemic oppression and racism that doesn't want you to be there and feel like you only got here because of some type of quota, because of some type of loophole or whatever type of situation. And so then you got others that look at you and saying, hey man, why are you, why are you trying so hard? And why are you, you know, in this situation, it's not cool for you to be smart, for you to obtain these different things. So it's like, if you're accomplishing these goals, you're doing it in spite of these things. Right. And right. like you said, this is where that syndrome looks a lot different because you're getting it, unfortunately, from both ends. Right. And so this this takes a toll. You really have to get um, have yourself and, and be able to convince yourself and say, you know what, I'm not I'm not an imposter. Like, you know, we feel just on a daily basis or at times when, you know, we have a difficult patient or some of the results are people have setbacks. And so mm-hmm. getting that additional layer um, or reinforcement from our own folks or from those from the systemic issue, you know, it's difficult and it can take, really take its toll on you. I, and, and honestly, on a bigger level, I'm a, I'm, and I'm just speaking in terms of like us as, as, as African-Americans or black people and individuals from the African diaspora, whatever you want to call it, right? Like we lose a lot. And I don't think we understand how much we lose, right? Because Again, it's like there's a lot of people who are not for lack whatever you want to call it, who are not in this fight right now, right? Because they they're they feel isolated and they feel like they don't fit. Right? Because because we can't say that, that there's more than one type of black person, right? More than one type of black experience. So you got people who feel like they're too educated to participate in these in these discussions, right? Because they're going to be rejected, right? And we lose a lot because there's people that feel like they can't fit and they have something to contribute, whether that be through connections, whether that be through their point of view, whether that be through whatever. But we are losing a lot because, you know, the the and, and obviously this is anecdotal at this point because I, I don't have statistics to back this up. But, you know, what you see is, you know, a lot of divide and conquer, <laughs> you know, by socioeconomic status. You know, by um, ge- geographical location, you know, um, su- suburbs versus city, by culture, right? West Indian, African American, African. You see a lot of divide and conquer, right? Because you see people that don't think they fit, right, in the larger conversation when they really do have other things to contribute. Because the reality is, in all of our worlds, all of our families, we all have professional and unprofessional blue collar, white collar people, all in our families, all in our communities, all in our neighborhoods, right? But so to create the image, you know, or or to put out the perception, you know, that in <clears throat> that in inner cities or in the suburbs or wherever, they're not professional people and blue collar people all mixed up, you know, together, is it's just false, right? Um, and again, it cre- it there's a lot of people, unfortunately sitting on the sidelines right now. I know some of them, you know, who could contribute a lot, but they just feel like they don't fit. And that's our own fault. That's that, that crabs in a barrel mentality. And all it does as a result is limit opportunities, right? You're limiting your own or other people's opportunities who could, like you mentioned, contribute in a, in a, in a vast major way. 
However, like you said, if you're going to pigeon, you know, pigeonhole yourself or you're going to, you know, put limitations or restrictions on others and say, well, you can only do this and you should do that and separate these experiences, then, um, I mean, it's just so counterproductive to us moving forward. And, and it's, you don't see that in other, you know, other cultures. You don't see that in other races where you're pulling each other or, you, you know, you're poking at people, you know, their coattails and saying you can't do something. And again, we already have a system that's already in place that's saying that you don't belong. And the right. only reason why you're here is because of some type of system or some type of loophole. So this is where, again, you know, that imposter syndrome, it, it's, you know, like I said, it's compounded by things that we've told ourselves or intergenerational, you know, issues. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, this was this was a, um, a really decent article. And it, again, it highlighted some of the things that we've discussed and, and other little small doses and other different areas. So um, but I'm happy to say the young lady who uh, wrote this article and shared her story in the beginning of it um, went on to become a psychologist. So, you know, you know, you know, okay. you know what that resilience looks like. You know, she's part of the, the, the psych family, you know. That's what's up. That's what's up. All right. All right, so moving right along, you know, this last article is kind of, I just kind of want to look at the concept. So before we introduce this, what we're saying is um, we're just looking at this as a concept, right? So this is in psychology today. It's talking about the search for happiness. Um, so there's a British psychologist, Dr. Robert Holden. He wrote a book 2011, and he coined the phrase destination addiction, right? Um, and the reason why I said in the beginning we're looking at a concept is because it's not a real addiction, okay? So, so the concept of, of uh, destination addiction is a preoccupation with the idea that happiness is in the next place or happiness is in the next job or with the next partner. And until you give up the, the idea that happiness is somewhere else, it'll never be where you are, right? Um, and just some of the points he was making is just individuals who kind of get caught up with this view you know, they're, they're blocked from their successes um, and they kind of have the belief that the future is where happiness is. Um, and the goal is kind of to get through the day and not to enjoy the day. So one thing he was saying is that you, you're kind of this type of person if you're always in a hurry, even when you have nowhere to be, um, you always promise that next year you'll be next busy. Your dream home is always the next home you want to buy. Um, you don't like your job, but yet you have good job prospects there. Mm -hmm. um, you never fully commit to anything in case something better comes along. Um, and you have you think you should be further ahead, ahead than you are. And you have so many projections that you never get anywhere. Right. Um, so what do you think of this concept? Um, do you know anybody that might be impacted by this? What do you what you think? I think the concept is. Um, can be applied to a lot of us because we, for the reason that a lot of us tend to have, you know, we're always thinking ahead, right? We're, we have that analytical mind that's always thinking um, what we're doing next. Even as we're engaging in a task, you're thinking about next week, you're thinking about next year, you're thinking about prospects, you're thinking about all these other different things. And it's difficult for anyone to be happy if you're not in the present moment, if you're constantly thinking about, okay, how can I get to the next one? How are you even thinking about, okay, you know, your job or whatever endeavor you're involved in your relationship or other different things, how can you enjoy what's happening now? Like even in relationship wise, it's like, you know what, I, I want my relationship to get to this. I want us to communicate more. Why don't we communicate more? And if you're in a situation and you're completely 
not thinking about how you're communicating now, then of course, yeah, the relationship is going to be it's a higher probability that it's going to fail because you've been wanting for this to happen. You weren't even thinking about what was taking place currently. So I feel like that, that's a, absolutely what takes place where people aren't able to find that happiness because you're not thinking about what's taking place in front of you, right? You, you're losing that sense of mindfulness of being in the present moment and you're, you're just thinking about, okay, you know, what else is going to make me happy? Like you said, the next job, all these are different things. So, um, yeah, I, I agree with that concept because it is a form of um, an addiction because it's like, you got this, what's next? What's next? I kind of, in terms of the relationship, I kind of immediately thought of um, the 80-20 kind of rule, you know, like. Um, okay. Just in terms of, hey, Kyle Perry, I, I see you on this. Uh, you know what I mean? Yeah, man, just, just kind of in terms of not valuing what you got, right? And kind of looking, grass is greener syndrome, kind of, for lack of a better term, you know, yeah. um, kind of looking at, like, yeah, you know, I got just about everything I want at home, but, you know, I, you know, you, I, I see something that, I, you know, that I like, right? Um, that's what I kind of looked at in terms of relationships, like people that, you know, they could be in a relationship with somebody that, you know, they care about, and they, of course, all relationships have problems, you know, and the problems they probably have could probably be worked through with some good communication, you know, but, um, you know, they might get distracted, right. By some, by somebody that might not even be as good of a fit, but, you know, um, mm -hmm. so in terms of the relationship, I was kind of thinking of that, um, or you just have these people that are like serial relationship hoppers, you know, so maybe they fit in that bucket somewhere, but I was other also thinking like of us as grad students, right. Because, I don't know about you, but when I was in my master's program, like I was like, all right, when I get out of my master's program, I'm going to my doctoral program. After my doctoral program, I want to open up a practice, you know, and then think about us in our program, right? Mm -hmm. The most, and I wrote this down, the most common phrase I have heard from every student. I know you're not going to guess it, but I'm going to give you five seconds to guess it. From everybody in our cohort, you said it, everybody said it at least 20 times, 20 times uh, a term. I'm gonna give you ten seconds. What private practice? That thing? No, uh, no. A phrase that we all said, like something we all said, at least twenty times every semester. No, mm -hmm. I can't wait to get this over with. Oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Oh, I can't wait to the end yeah, of the semester. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it, no, it, yeah. It, it's almost the definition of this, right? Yeah, can't because wait. can't wait for this shit to be over. <laughs> right. That's what we would say. Right. So it's like and, and what we're doing is because we're trying to get from August to to Christmas break. Right. Yeah. You know, um, in a hurry too, or or just looking at it another way, us going from PCOM right to internship to postdoctoral. To, so it's very easy. You know, especially like you, if you're a medical student and you 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 go from college, you're thinking about studying for the MCAT and then resident, and you get into medical school and then residency. It's very easy to lose eight years. Yeah, you can lose eight years just just studying and to pass tests and going here and there and just not in you know kind of enjoying. Like I, for one, you know, like I say this and it's a little bit exaggerated, but the best Big Mac I ever had was the day after we graduated. It was the best one I ever had, the best smash burger I ever had, the, be all, the best piece of chicken I ever had, 
because of the simple fact that the I could I felt like I could finally rest. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah, our minds, yeah, we weren't, there wasn't that what's next up, right? It wasn't right. like, okay, I already got this. Now I'm working towards these other hours. Like you're in practicum or like we started the program. Now we're working towards practicum. Once we got a practicum, now we're working towards internship. Once we're talking to internship, it was like, once you graduated, it was like, all right, there's nothing really left. Right. Other than like your right. postdoc or in licensure, it's just like, all right, like you said, you can breathe. Because our minds are always in that looking at the final destination. Right. But if you're looking at that final destination and that's all you're looking at, you didn't forgot about what you saw along the way. And right? that, that's and why I think you're not even enjoying the car ride. And when you bring up mindfulness, it's like we're on the same page because I wrote that down as, you know, just it was for lack of a better term, but I put like treatment, right? Mm-hmm. Mindfulness. Right. Only because this is what you want people to do. Right. Enjoy the ride. Right. Um, Yeah. You might have that stressful day in medical school where you run it from this place to that place. But I know you've always seen those people on PCOM campus. Right. Like we'll be hustling and bustling, running. And you'll see somebody sitting on the grass, eating lunch, you know, like relaxing, maybe for five, ten minutes or whatever. But it just looked like they sitting on a cloud, you know, enjoying the moment. You I, know? Took, I always wonder, what, what are they doing? I'm like, is that, is that med school? What right. <laughs> I'm like, what do they get time to sit on the damn grass? I'm sitting like, I want to sit on the grass, you know. And you're, you're right, man. It took a long time for me to get to that point, even like later in the program, after kind of learning about mindfulness of just kind right. of slowing down. And, you know, because, again, even when we would go on our, our on our breaks, right, to go get something to eat or heat up our food, you're still thinking like, all right, we got this class. All right, this is John's 1030, man. The class ends at 1030, 1015. When are we going to – the presentation that we got to do during the second half of the class, right? We're thinking yeah. – you're thinking about all these other different things and thinking about practicum or work the next day. And, you know, you look up, you're already – you're at the end. Now what? And do, did you enjoy yourself? Like you said, the quality, right? You're always thinking about all these different accolades or things you're trying to accomplish. And you think that that's going to bring you happiness, right? If you accomplish this, all these other different things, you get the relationship looking for the, like you said, the 80-20 and having your relationship either be perfect or find someone that's perfect. And then you miss, like you said, what you have in front of you. Or you would miss the whole thing that was taking place or the ride there, right? You forgot that you even, how you even got there. You just, you were there now. And that's and it, that brings me to the next point, because what he was saying was he said, that you know, the impact of it is that it leaves you like psychologically absent. Right. Because you disregard what you have, feeling empty. And it says the trouble with destination addiction is that it focuses purely on finishes and not on purpose. Right. To live intelligently is to live with purpose, to make the means the end and also the end the means. Right. The end is in every moment. And that's, it's real. Like I, you know, I, I thought, that's why I kind of thought this was interesting because this is me at a lot of periods in my life, man. It, it, it was, it, it's, it was me for about 10 years trying to catch up to whatever I felt like I needed to catch up to. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Um, and I just have times that are just a blur. I can remember tests I took better than like what I was what significant, like, memories at that time you know what i mean um so 
totally. Just man. a you know interesting thing to uh, think about. You know, yeah, what I mean? it, it's a lot of people experience that. I know I have. Um, and then you get to that point that now what? Right. Once you've accomplished that, you know, now what? You have these yeah. athletes. You got to the end, and because, like you said, it was an addiction. It was something that you were preoccupied with, and now right. now that you're here. You know, how was it getting here? Do you, do you do you even remember it? And that's something, you know, really quick when people ask me about like parenting and I'm not going to, you know, proclaim to be any this, this great parenting expert. But something I always ask people when they're just like, oh, well, your kids at a certain age and they're like, oh, I can't wait for high school. You know, my kid to graduate. And I'm just like, listen, enjoy it right now. Right. Because it does. It, it's really true to form that it goes by like that. Like seeing your kid grow and develop so many, sometimes people are so focused on, Oh, I can't wait until their first day of kindergarten. Or they're there. This all these milestones that people think of the road. Now enjoy where you're at and be present as much as possible. Because one, like you were just saying, whether it's school or parenting or whatever, you don't get that time back. Right. You know, and then also we don't know the nature of how life is. Listen, there's a lot of people, you know, that are unemployed today that, you know, probably had job security in 2019, respectfully. You know what I mean? So we don't know how life is going to turn out. So mindfulness to me, you know, is one of the most important things I've learned. Right. Because it's one of those like like I'll give you a like, personal example. Like it's just like, like my mother always used to be like, oh, give me my flowers while I'm here. But to me it's the same perception that you have in mindfulness. You know what I'm saying? It's the present moment. So enjoy me here. Enjoy me now. Right. And mm-hmm. enjoy this conversation that I'm having. Right. Enjoy this sunshine. Enjoy that movie or that ice cream. Right. Um, because for all we know, you know, a challenge could be waiting right around the corner. It could be hours away, you know? Um, Absolutely. So to me, that's another way that we kind of insulate and preserve our mental health and practice good habits is to practice mindfulness on a regular basis, right? And that could be as simple as gratitude once a day, right? Um, or or sitting outside and eating that meal. But either way, you know, um, I think it's a way to practice good mental health habits and 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 kind of insulate our, ourselves from stress at the same time. Yeah, absolutely. Just kind of stopping and taking in the moment and breathing. Um, you know, and this is existing in the moment. And then also what I'll add really to that is also balance, right? Not putting everything, like you said, within that one venture. Like you said, a lot of people you have, you're straightforward. You want to accomplish whatever this, this feat is. And you think that's going to bring you happiness at the end goal. But like you said, there are so many other different things that you didn't remember along the way because you were so focused. So absolutely incorporating some other different areas of your life in you know, that's where I, I believe happiness comes with that balance of all the other different things that you're interested in. But yeah, it was a, it was a great concept and I, and I'm totally in agreement with all of it. So, you know, sure. anything else before we get out of here, Jay? No, nah, man, I got nothing else, man. And that's a plan, you know, so we're going to, I'm going to check that out, you know? Yeah. Yeah. The Slim Reaper. Let's go check this guy out. Oh, yeah. Oh yeah. But before we get out of here, of course, want to thank everybody for listening um we definitely appreciate it if everybody who has you know shared the videos there's been a lot of people doing that so we appreciate all the likes comments and shares especially um and please 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 keep subscribing 
um we really appreciate it and definitely humbled by the support absolutely guys so um yeah i, I echo everything that, that jay said we appreciate the support the feedback the comments um, we enjoy interacting with you guys. We, you know, the Jay and I are both very active on whether it be YouTube or, you know, the social media, you know, interacting your ideas. So don't be shy. Keep passing them forward. Um, and keep watching and listening. We appreciate it guys. So we're, we're on everything. And that email again is the black psychologist podcast at gmail.com. Oh yeah. Send the video questions. Send the video That's questions. That's it. We can make you famous. You know, we just made this other person famous. Listen, you know, so this is what we're doing. We're we're about uplifting and propelling people into a different stratosphere of popularity. Okay, so let's get it. All right, no doubt. All right, All right Dr. J. Until next time. All right, bro. Bro. All right.